Well, thanks for staying tuned, everybody. Welcome to the November 15, 2022 edition of Ask a Leader. Since Ask a Leader listeners can walk and chew gum, you all can continue watching the 2022 midterm election results while we take on local union activity. Actually, it's statewide. Organizers with the United Auto Workers and the UCAFT on the campus here started a strike yesterday, joining 48,000 UC system-wide scholars and assistants and lecturers. Grievances are plenty among them. So the guests today include Nick Maurer. He's a lecturer awaiting reappointment. We're trying to get owner St. Clair on. We're having a She's having difficulties dialing in. We may have to fly without her. I hate doing it, but she's busy on that picket line. So maybe maybe that's the better side of Valor. And then Mia Viegas. She's a lab project coordinator and academic workers, UAW recording secretary. And then in the second segment, returning to the show is Craig Terrell, artistic director of The Wayward Artist. He's got a play this month, a gala next month, and a new season next year. We'll be right back after I queue up my friends here. Welcome back to the show. My first guest, who are, uh, we're going to have to fly without Onera today. First on my show, we're covering the whole lot of organizing over the entire UC system. Yesterday, kicking off the strike, now underway. First, we've got, I think, I'm not sure if that could be, uh, that's Mia, I think, of there. Uh, Nick Maurer, who completed his Master's of Fine Arts from UCI and has been working as a lecturer in the composition program since 2018. He also taught writing courses at Orange Coast College and Vanguard University. He is one of 10 lecture faculty at UCI arbitrarily laid off this summer in violation of the new UCAFT contract that was ratified last November, folks. More about historian, how they're affected um, by this cruelty of churning. We'll talk about that in the program. And then is Mia Viegas. She's a project coordinator in the Prevent Leaps Lab. Leap stands for Leading Exploration Analysis of the Psychosis Spectrum. She graduated from USC with a BA in psychology as well as cognitive science. Previously, she worked with Dr. Stanley Huey Jr., studying culture adaptivity with trauma assessment measures, and Dr. Clayton Stevenson, studying the effect of COVID-19, has had on students' well-being and academic endeavors. And then Honora is field rep and organizer, and I don't know that we can really bring her on because of some snags with our phone bank. That's sorry, I can't uh, include her. She, she's affiliated with the California Federation of Teachers and the American Federation of Teachers. She's been working the labor move for 16 years. Well, I'm sorry we can't include her. We've got Nick Maurer from his home in Costa Mesa, where he's busy applying for work, folks. And we have Mia Viegas over at the picket line. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Mia Viegas and Nick Maurer. Thanks so much, Hi, thank Claudia. you so much for having us. Okay, thank you. If Mia, if you can see Honora from where you are, if you can both get to that phone together, we can try that out, but I'm not sure. First, I'm going to ask for the community proximate to campus. You know who I'm talking to, you Hills, to consider how your lot lines up with those about whom my guests will be talking. Job security, compensation packages, and very secure housing. It's going to be a difficult dialogue today. Listen closely. 
So last November, an agreement was ratified. Nonetheless, 10 lecture faculty in the composition program at UCI were laid off this summer in an arbitrary decision, as I mentioned, even though they were supposed to be rehired for the current academic year and receive priority over outside hires as per the transition plan. So far, they've not received what President Drake promised. Not only were their jobs terminated, but they never received the assessment of their work guaranteed by the contract. And it appears to be a labor response in the making since 2004, when it became apparent that wage suppression of this class of faculty was the budgetary choice of UC system. So many rounds of pleas for COLAs. Those are the cost of living adjustments. Let's have you two, Mia and Nick, let's have you talk about what's stalling this process and how far apart the positions are that lead to the strike today. Well, uh, Hi, this is Mia. This is, oh, Mia, you oh, can go, go ahead, first. Nick. Okay. All right. Well, I'll jump in. So first, thanks for having us on, Claudia. I do want to make one distinction. So we're both a part of separate unions that are representing workers on UC campuses. So my union is UCAST, which represents all lecturers and librarians. And I believe Mia is part of the UAW, the University Academic Workers Union, uh, which represents graduate student workers, TAs, researchers. Um, and they are going on strike this week. Um, that's my understanding. So I'll let her speak to that. But as for um, the situation with UCAST, the new contract that you spoke of that was ratified in November 2021, yeah, there's been uh, somebody, you know, someone's dropped the ball in composition, at least here at UCI, in terms of not giving lectures, myself and nine other colleagues who were teaching in the program, um, not giving us the evaluations that we were supposed to receive, uh, and also making outside hires before giving us priority consideration. So that's the boat that we're in. As you mentioned, President Drake, you know, is on board with this new ratification, but it seems like someone, you know, those in the composition program are, are falling short here. They're, uh, they're not, um, you know, meeting the standard, the new standard that's been set by this new contract. So that's where I'm at. There, and there's Mia with, with the, uh, at the picket line. Yes, Mia, what would you add? Hi. Yeah, so this is Mia. I am the recording secretary for UAW 5810. Um, I'm on the picket line today, and I'm on the picket line today because United Auto Worker Locals 2865 and 5810, representing academic workers, postdocs, PAs, and grad students, are striking over the amount of unfair labor practices the university has committed against us at the bargaining table. Um, there's over 20 different instances of the university breaking the law and undermining our power at the table. And because of that, we are going on strike. Um, that is stopping us from bargaining and it's preventing us from going to the table for things like fair wages, job security, um, lesson and rent burden, and, um, you know, protections and secure leaves of absence as well. We're pretty far, um, I think, right now. We're getting closer every day, and I think our strike has put a lot of pressure on the university. The grad student union, uh, the GSRs, were able to PA union security and union access, meaning they reached tentative agreements. But the university is still having trouble um, understanding and attributing some of the issues that we face to their own hand. 
uh, meaning they refuse to bargain with us over housing, and uh, they don't see it as a unique employee issue, even though 92% of their grad students are rent burdened. Um, so there's that's one example of how far we are from the university in, in making a, a getting a contract, a fair contract at the table. So until they ratify those unfair labor practices, I'd say there's still quite a bit of distance between us. Lots of questions, Mia and, and Nick, if you want to talk about, let's make it really dramatic here. When you talk about rent burden, what portion, generally speaking, average of the any one of the lecturers, researchers' budgets do you think go to housing? Like over well, 50, 60 percent? I can say for our academic workers, for our grad students, when I say 92 percent are rent burden, there's, these people are spending more than 30 percent of their income at a minimum at a on minimum. rent. I've looked at some numbers, and I think it's it's largely over half. Um, and I know for some academic researchers like myself, I think there is a third of our union is rent burdened as well. Um, and I even myself spent more than fifty percent of rent, fifty percent of my income on rent before. So students are having to choose between having a place to live, paying off their car, maybe paying off student loans, and maybe even getting something good to eat. So when you talk about a tentative agreement. This is really structural, the assumption that the budget will be balanced off of keeping this lower class of faculty teaching the students. So the tentative agreement, how deeply does it address that larger sort of budget formula that's so structural? Well, this is Mia again, and I can comment on that as well. One of the, I'll mention something with our tentative agreements here. Um, With a management and academics rights article, which basically says, you know, what can we and what can we not bargain over? What is, What are we allowed to take collective action over as a union? Meaning, what can we use our power and our bargaining rights to do? The university is refusing to include housing in that, which means that they don't want us to be able to have any authority over housing rates within grad housing, so campus housing. They don't want us to be able to bargain over maybe a rent cap or an increase, you know, monthly increase cap or anything like that. So that not only are they refusing to give fair wages to allow workers to, you know, find external housing that doesn't make them rent burden, but they're refusing to allow us to decide how much or to bargain over fair and square an increase or a rent cap. Nick, what? let's personalize yeah, well, I can, this. Yes. I can speak to some of that, too, because I was actually a graduate student at UCI as well. I started back in 2015. And it was the same situation. So sad to see that nothing's changed. But my, the amount that I was paid for my work, yeah, half of that was going to rent. And I was living in, in graduate housing at the time. And it went up every year as well. So um, I think that's, this is definitely a, an issue and something that UC should be bargaining in good faith over. I don't think that you know, graduate student workers should be rent burdened. 92% of them, that's outrageous. Yeah. For those of you who've just joined us, my guests are Mia Viegas and Nick Maurer. Nick is a lecturer in composition, and Mia is a researcher and an organizer here with the local union. And we're talking about the strike underway. Mia's at the picket line, and Nick is trying to complete applications. But So let's, let's talk about what this churning is, where new hires are replacing senior hires. There's some assumptions about, you know, how to keep it fresh, even though we have tenured faculty after 30 years, as argued in some papers published, that uh, what's so fresh about a 30-plus-year 30, 30 tenure track? But I'm, I'm going to put out there 
that a lot of aspects to your trade, that composition is a life skill. Getting people to learn how to compose with clarity, with finesse, with all these things. And you're teaching international students. And you can tell us what proportion of your students are international. So you want to um, talk about the churning and churning on all angles, all fronts for you as a lecturer. Yeah, well, as you say, that is a, a talking point that I feel gets brought up, trying to keep things fresh, but that absolutely does fly in the face of the logic of tenure and uh, keeping, you know, giving good teachers, good professors um, secure job security. So I, I think what it really comes down to is just the university's bottom line. They're, they're just trying to save really a few thousand dollars here and there by, you know, hiring someone new at the base salary rate um, rather than keeping teachers who, like myself and my colleagues who are let go this summer, who've been doing a really good job, who've been, you know, going above and beyond to further the objectives of their program. And that work just isn't being recognized, isn't even being acknowledged or evaluated. And I think that's a real issue, right? Other colleges I've taught at, you're given an evaluation right away you know, within your first year that, you know, the administration wants to let you know how you're doing and how you can improve. But UC, for some reason, has just been shirking that responsibility. And the new contract that was ratified in 2021 was supposed to fix that. But so far, composition at UCI has dropped the ball, um, and they have not delivered on that promise. And the drop the ball is there is no any kind of indication of your performance. No. Yeah. Wow. Based on that. Yeah. No indication. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of breathless about that. I mean, that, yeah. that kind of is an HR no-no, I would think. But um, OK, uh, even though it's there, it is in the contract. So and, and what proportion, Nick, have you been lecturing international students on composition. Maybe give us a mini, mini case study about the kind of uh, delicacy and just how, how many students you're keeping their composition played up in the air so they, they can put thoughts down cogently and well. Yeah, I mean, I mean, couldn't speak to the exact numbers. Just proportions um, but, generally, but many, yeah. Yeah, many of my students at UCI have been English language learners. And it's been, you know, a privilege to work with students, um, international students and such a diverse student body. And yeah, that does come with, you know, perhaps a different skill set, right? A different, different experience that you need to bring to the table. And I, I think that, you know, lecturers who have been doing it for more years are going to have that, that experience. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, uh, you know, a delicate, as you say, situation, um, but also an important one. I think it's important, you know, that there's diversity in composition courses in higher education um, because, yeah, this is a life skill, right? We're all, you know, we're learning to communicate um, through the written language. And, you know, communication is, is global now. So, yeah, I think those are very important things to keep, you know, at the forefront in a composition course at somewhere like UCI. And it it came up, actually, uh, with faculty neighbors uh, last weekend, and they were talking about that very aspect of their students' performance is how the, the students, maybe there's less and less reading going on. There's 
there's different kinds of social media, ways of communicating, and how all of those kinds of aspects, uh, you know, all those cognitive pieces there, uh, how they have a, an impact on what composition is. Can, has that something you've also been trying to uh, figure out with your pedagogy over uh, an increased use of social media that's the, you know, 140, 280 kind of character kind of messages? Sure, yeah, well, absolutely. One of the courses I taught was the 39C, which has now become uh, Writing 60, Argument and Research, and, and my course was, was based on technology in the future and sort of thinking about the new ways that technology impacts the way we communicate, right, the way we um, compose texts or try to persuade audiences. So, yeah, I think students are in a different place than they were 10 or even 20 years ago. It's, it's rapid technological advancement that's happening. Um, but it's still, you know, it's still composition skills and, and, you know, theories of composition, I think, apply and are meaningful, you know, when we think about something like a tweet um, or other modes of communication, right? All, all that are very important, you know, to something like the labor movement as well, right? And following all this UAW strike stuff on Twitter, that's how I'm keeping up with it. And I know students do similar things, or they, they might use TikTok or something. Um, but learning to interpret written text, um, you know, get to the bottom of, of, you know, what's the meaning, you know, what's the message there, um, you know, those are all important moves that we need to, you know, be preparing students uh, for. Thank you for that. Um, so that's, that's I'm hearing, pedagogy, economic pressure. There's, a, there's so much going on in there, and I, I don't know how... Uh, in the tenant agreement, if all those things are broken down, because you've got such a raft of needs and, and requests there. So I, I want to talk with both of you about, and maybe more for Mia, is the general trends in labor organizing. Are they affecting, are they leveraging your negotiations this week? Yeah, that's a really, really great question. So I, what I'm going to say, my best answer is that we're here at UCI on the forefront. We're kind of paving the way as well for other universities to begin the process of university workers to begin the process of creating and organizing within their own departments and eventually unionizing. What is happening at UC is that we are currently in the biggest academic worker strike in the history, right, in country. And say that, strike Mia, say that again. That's so um, we're currently in the biggest um, academic worker strike that has happened. Um, and we're paving the way for other academic workers to do the same thing. Um, we're going to achieve a contract that is going to ratify into academic workers contracts that we do not need to be rempered in anymore, that we deserve fair wages, higher you know, job security, and equity for international scholars, amongst other things. And um, other workers are looking to us to secure this, and they're looking to UC, as they do for a lot of things, to... Um, lead us to those ends. And with regards to other trends and other um, labor agreements at UC, we are looking towards how UC has negotiated, you know, perhaps with, um, you know, facilities management people here. Um, you know, we, we're looking at just general agreements with the Teamsters and whatnot, just as we're looking at nationally. But I really want to emphasize the point that what's happening at UC is going to be the first of many different unionization efforts, um, strike authorization votes, and strikes that we're going to see in the next coming years 
and I hope that we'll see as early as next year. Well, Mia, you raise an interesting point then, that it's your requests are now a a challenge to not just this academic system, the UC system, but it's. do you think that the Board of Regents and President Drake are thinking about what every move here does to that affects other campuses around the country, so they are really digging in with a tighter negotiation line? I, I would agree. I think they do have a lot to consider here. Um, like I said, they're going to be the first to decide, you know, how they can best dignify their workers right now in this campaign. And I, you know, last week I spoke to, I spoke to workers at, you know, different universities, which I won't say right now, but they're beginning their own efforts to unionize. USC grad workers are beginning to unionize and they're following models. They're working with organizers from UC. So I think UC here is, I hope they're attuned to that. And I hope that they see it as an opportunity to be the first university system to offer these strong protections. But unfortunately, I don't think that's how they're looking at it at the table. They want to keep the status quo. So their terms, what they're looking at as a model is a model of austerity, in a sense, in a budgetary sense, as opposed to a model of equity for all people employed on a college campus. Yes, I, I, I really agree with that. Nick? Yeah, I mean, the I think the numbers I was reading is that if if UAW, what UAW is asking for is two percent of all of UC's budget, um, yeah, I mean they can afford to take care of the people who make their operation run, right? You know, as I said, I'm I'm with UCFT, but we're we're like sibling unions, so we support this mm-hmm. strike, or I do. I'll speak for myself, and um, I really hope that you guys get what you're asking for, and the university should be bargaining in good faith with you. It's, it's very disappointing that they're not. And then beyond that, I think we have to keep them accountable when, when a contract is reached, right? So as with mm-hmm. the case of what's happening right now, for me and my colleagues in composition, UCI is not following through on the new contract that they're supposed to be following, which is give, give current lecturers evaluations, give them rehiring rights. Um, so yeah, so that's what we're fighting for at the moment. But Definitely. I mean, yeah, it's austerity. It's austerity. It's trying to save the money. It's, you know, thinking that you're, you can live off of prestige or something going to one of their colleges. Um, but no, we, people need to live um, and uh, they need to be taken care of, you know, and paid for their labor. Well, there are, there's various platforms for responses to register in this moment around the UC system. I'm looking at the UC Irvine, since this is the community radio station covering what's happening locally, there's all these other campuses, but I'm looking at those platforms and I see the Department of Asian Studies and UCI's Biomedical Engineering, Diversity, Equity, and and, and all, DEI Committee, that they've weighed in and supported you. Here's the pitch. You, you, you want to bring a few more schools on board? What are you asking them uh, to, to support you? Always. Um, there's so many different ways to help us. I'm just going to say to any faculty who might be listening or who want to learn how they can support and get their department on board, cancel classes for your grad and encourage them to go to the picket line. Um, they've got a lot of years left on campus, and they deserve to have fair wages and fair contracts for every year that they stay at UCI. 
Well, I'm also looking at, I'm not saying that, uh, say, cross the strike line and teach this, but I'm thinking, isn't there an opportunity to integrate this subject matter in the courses? I mean, there's social science can talk about this. They, they could make a teach-in in, on the other side of the, the strike line, right? The picket line that they could really express how the, what the equity is involved here. Could this not be a kind of a teachable moment, but it's maybe a teachable 18 years? <laughs> yeah, I really do agree with that. Um, one thing that you said that really made me think about my own department and my own, the school of social ecology, social ecology is that today, the, I guess, social ecology spent a good portion of money on getting Andrew Yang to speak. And I think a lot of our picketers and our strikers were upset to see that because, you know, we're, we hear a lot, you know, there's not enough money in the department for X, Y, and Z, and yet they're bringing a speaker onto campus when, you know, we're fighting for things like equity immediately. And I think maybe that time and that intention could have been put towards our efforts for sure. And I would love to see teach-ins and anything that faculty can do to um, spread our message. I know the law faculty at the law school have been doing that for us, so I'm, I'm grateful for that. Well, I may have some things to say about uh, the Andrew Yang talk. We're gonna, I'll be there tonight, and um, I won't be able to say much. I don't think next week uh, with the Thanksgiving Thanksgiving program plan. But that's there's a whole lot of agendas there, and there are some honest discussions that need to happen about what's UCI thinking about bringing on a guest with their own political agenda. It's very clear. So, I just want to know how long could this strike potentially last? That's a really great question. I, I have maybe two answers for you. Uh, my first answer, which is uh, what I want to say to the UC, is that it could end at any minute. They decide to make right all the unfair labor practices that they've committed. So they partially have a hand to play in when this will end. As for an organizer perspective and what I see um, based on my bargaining and my team's bargaining and bargaining people is that I'm unsure. I think that the UC has, when they ignored our call for a shared bargaining table, they put themselves in a place where they're going to draw this out. They're spread thin. I'm certain that we'll be in for a week, at least right now. It's hard for me to say, but I, I think we're going to, we're definitely going to be here a week. Okay. Wow. So um, I'm going to put in the podcast summary when I post that, uh, I hope, within the next 24 hours, folks, uh, the the link for the Council of UC Faculty Associations petition, among some other things. So did you have any more pitches that you wanted to make while we're together I, today? Yes, Nick? Yeah, if I could say one thing, Claudia. Yeah, yes. Just that, and I think you included this on your website, but that petition to reinstate the 10 lecturers who were not rehired this summer. Um, anyone can sign that, and it, we really appreciate your support. Well, and I was going to say, I encourage UAW members to sign as well. Um, and I, I just want to say, like, anyone who's listening, anybody who's curious, anyone who wants to know what we're fighting for, come to the picket line. We're going to be here all day, every day, until we win a fair contract. Okay. Well, thank you for, for both of you for being on the show today on Ask a Leader. And I, I'm going to swing by uh, later today. And actually, you're, are you going to be adjacent to the Barclay Theater where this whole, um, and Andrew Yang is due to talk at at 6, the, the 
folks are going to start lining up to get their reservations called at about 5 p.m. Are you going to, this is going to be an overlapping event? <laughs> um, right now, we're not particularly certain yet, but I do know that we will have members present. I don't know if he's talking about his universal uh, income, but um, I, I know he's going to talk about his presidential aspirations, however embedded those uh, messages are going to be, but we'll uh, stay tuned. I want to thank both of you for being on Ask a Leader today. Thanks so much, Claudia. Thank you for having really us. really appreciate it. Lovely yeah. to be here. Okay, thank you so much. My guests were Nick Maurer, lecturer, weight and reappointment, and Mia Vegas, lab project coordinator and academic workers, UAW secretary. We'll return after a station break with Craig Turrell, artistic director of the Wayward Artist about the play, actually running the rest of this week and some other goodies. Stay tuned. Well, thank you so much for staying tuned. We've got Craig Tyrrell up and running. Welcome back to the show. Returning is my guest, Craig Tyrrell, Artistic Director of The Wayward Artist. The production is in Santa Ana, and he's a member of the faculty of the Cal State Fullerton University Department of Theater. And he's bringing the, the actually play, and that is written by Anna Ziegler, and it's directed by Sidney Fitzgerald. And Craig has regularly come to the show to present each new season of theater work. And today we're looking at the current run. This is actually still, we've got Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday shows. We'll talk about that a little bit about that. And then there's a fundraiser in December and what he's arranging for the new season. Welcome back, Craig Tyrrell, to Ask a Leader. Thank you so much, Claudia. You know you're one of my favorite people ever, and oh, you're, uh, it you're is a pleasure a, to be here. You're such a theater barker. I can't believe you. So, so <laughs> first, the play actually, which, as I said, is written by Anna Ziegler, directed by Sidney Fitzgerald. Congratulations on this latest run. It's a, a real American thought piece about two college freshmen early in the school year the second their second encounter leads to a sexual allegation. Talk, Craig, about how this play is meeting us where we are. Well, you know the Title Nine and college universities have just this incredibly difficult challenge of having to understand what's going on. You know when there's sexual assault cases and and even beyond that and what this place shows is that things are never black and white it's in this murky world of gray and when you fully understand the human beings the context what's going on in their lives kind of leads to a special moment in time there is so much to consider and uh, and i just think the play does an amazing job of showing how complex you know, what life is like on college campuses and then what universities have to deal with in terms of Title IX. Yes, and I, I mean, what thing, what scratch I itched in, or the itch I scratched with this, I was thinking, this is an American play. I don't think it is a play that the setting would happen perhaps in other cultures where there is greater 
sexual, biological, cultural literacy introduced earlier in the curriculum. This is an American play, correct? Yeah, no, it is, for sure. Okay, well. So let's talk about the reactions you're getting and how you want this conversation to move on into how we make room, proper room for thriving youth's intimate exploration with the pressures they all have. And I pose, um, the, as I said, it's, it, it is an American play, but let's talk about the reactions that you're getting. Because there's, I, I just wonder if it depends. On, I, I saw the matinee on Sunday, and I thought if I went back a time or two more, am I going to have like a different reaction to the characters and that kind of thing? So what reactions are you getting, Craig? Well, first, it was an amazing opening weekend. It was, we had a sold out weekend. Um, and, wonderful audience of all ages in terms of demographic um, lots of students getting to see this and you know i think the reaction's been it's just been so thought-provoking you know the anna ziegler says this at the in her preface to the pl- actual play is she wants to humanize these characters and show what's going on you know with two people at any given time to just show a little snapshot of human beings trying to understand their roles, their gender roles, navigating love and romance in college university, and to just give us a truthful snapshot of that. And she says, if that has something to say today, it might have something to say tomorrow and uh, well into the future. And I think she's right. And just seeing people grapple with the gender issues, the racial issues that are going on, because, you know, one of the, the Tom, the African-American character, you know, and uh, the white Jewish girl, Amber, you know, they're navigating so much and get to see them in this contemporary setting as 20 some year olds navigating, you know, what is just a huge moment for them. Um, It's fascinating. And I think I think audiences are recognizing that fascination and uh, we're holding talkbacks after each show. So the conversation afterwards has also been stimulating and and, uh, engaging as well. Wow, each show. I wasn't sure. I, that I, that actually was a question I had, and I think, I think Craig, that's the the final act is having then the the audience respond to that. And uh, I only had like about uh, twelve questions. I, you gave me a chance to ask one, but uh, that talk back. <laughs> you're doing the community a huge service by giving people a chance to. I, I mean, there's tension in this. It, the ambiguity makes it really tense, and that's why it's actually such a perfect title for the the whole circumstances around this, but well done to have that. And, and I want to, you're, since you're a theater guy, I, there's a, one thing I was wondering about is the audience is getting put through the paces in this actually ambiguous situation. There's no comic relief. It just gets more and more kind of concerning the whole thing. True. I would say, you know, I watched from the booth most nights and, uh, yes, it has an arc that, you know, as they really get to the night in question, that's kind of wait, you know, saved until the end. But uh, there is there is more humor than you might think, because I, I hear that in the reaction le- leading up to that. Because we, we get to explore how they met in their first date and the night when they went out. And uh, there's, there is a lot of humor to be found there. But in the uh, arc, it's yeah, you're, early. You're absolutely right. It's it early on, the, the humor. And it just, I think that must be the playwright's device, 
is to say, I'm not going to let anybody off the hook with a little reprieve, a little, uh, you know, off ramp with a little witticism that we yeah. are in a vice as a, an audience. And so that's probably what makes it so important that you give everybody a chance to sort of let the steam out of the pressure cooker of this yeah. this situation we're in. And we're all we're all replaying it. And I also wanted to know uh, there's references. It was written. After nine, after nine eleven, I think it was two thousand and nine ish. Yeah. So there are, um, you know, there are some references that people may or may not know if they're younger than uh, that. Those particular references that she puts in her play. So, uh, but who's she writing this for? That's a good question. I think you know she says also, sort of in her preference, it was. The what drew her to the play initially was uh, changes to the Title IX system legislatively that happened under the Obama administration, or actually uh, changing it under the Trump administration in 2016, and that that complexity of how universities are just sort of being asked to do an impossible task with these new changing laws that inspired her work. I think it's for. In terms of audience, I think it has a great deal to say to young people. Um, I think it has a great deal to say that anybody that kind of works within institutions that have to grapple with, you know, relationships, work relationships, um, human resources, Title IX, I think it has something to say there, too. But I'll go back to her earlier point. Mm -hmm. Um, Anybody interested in... Two human beings, what goes into any single challenging moment to really understand both sides, um, it's, it's, it's a, just a remarkable thing to see the fullness of human beings in trying to understand something. And uh, there's a magic in what she does. So on the way in and on the way out, there was a you know discussion about how campuses address this, let's say, the kind of uh, parameters set down for incoming freshmen, uh, what is what are the consent guidelines? And so I think what actually does really well is say, well, you can do all you can to set those guidelines, but actually it's pretty gray. Yeah. And so it's yeah. uh, it, it was it was its own manual is about you know at every move and it's sort of the the aftermath, is as ambiguous as that. You know what I thought about is there's a character that a, a friend of the the female lead. And there's a character. She reminded me of Linda Tripp and Monica Lewinsky. <laughs> Interesting. So that like there's one there in the aftermath. There was a kind of a nudging along as we're gonna. There was a case made out of that. Maybe actually maybe there was no case. Correct. Uh, for 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 the play for the allegation maybe the the allegation is also very vague was there or wasn't there well yeah, there's definitely a case and there was definitely an allegation made in the context of the play um where what the decision is ultimately we don't know that leaves us wondering and that's why i think she does that intentionally yes 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 I, like, what right. would you think you know where does where does that feather land at the end of the day and that's the that is the the proper characterization of this this whole kind of circumstance and i'm not going to do any spoiler alerts i'm just but there is a an a, a 
aspect of the play, the crowning touch, which is phenomenal. Yeah. I'm not going to, Craig, don't worry. I'm not going to say saying, what it is. I was saying, I was saying last, yesterday at the talk back, it has to be one of my favorite endings to a, any of play I've ever been a part of. It only the s- ending of this play is just so, and it, there's an audible gasp yes. in the audience yeah. when that happens. And it's just like, it's so perfect ending to this play. It is. Don't worry, Craig. I'm not blowing this. Okay. So <laughs> I for, almost did. No, no, none of us. I, I wouldn't have let you. I would have um, I would have played Mozart Ninth right over you or something like that. Oh, so, that's funny. So my guest is Craig Tyrrell. He's the artistic director of The Wayward Artist, bringing their latest production actually at The Wayward Artist. The playwright is Anna Ziegler. And Craig is also a member of faculty at Cal State Fullerton University's Theater and Dance Department. So let's have you talk briefly about the gala for this year on December 10th at the Den Cafe, right next door to yes. where the plays are, right there on 135 North Broadway in Santa Ana. Well, our season runs uh, the calendar year, so this is actually the last uh, show of our fifth season, which is amazing. And we're having a big holiday fundraising gala with all our resident artists. We'll provide entertainment, there's food, silent auction at our neighbors at the Den Cafe at Grand Central next door. And uh, it's just a wonderful evening. And uh, if you want to support a growing and vibrant theater, The Wayward Artist, we would love to have you. Tickets at thewaywardartist.org. But that's coming up on the 10th. And then at that gala, we will announce our sixth season, which is, I can't tell you how excited I am for that, because we've just had remarkable growth in the last uh, six years since we started this company, and each year just gets better and bigger. And uh, so I'm thrilled to announce season six. And I neglected to give lip service to the play performances for actually. Let me just put this in there now, folks. It's Thursday, Friday, Saturday at 7.30 p.m., and then Sunday is the 2 p.m. matinee. So uh, now... And so no scoops for our listeners about what the themes are going to be, or are you going to make us wait until December 10th? Well, I, I'll tell you this. We, we're going to do two musicals this year. We always do one big musical, but we're going to do two this year because one is totally recognizable, everybody will know, but then we found this recent uh, obscure musical with five women that has an amazing sound to it. It's, you know, it's, if you know the pentatonics, it's got this kind of very tight acapella sound to it. And I'm just, I'm mesmerized by this story. It's a strong female voice in that. So that will be part of it. We are, our commitment to idea, which we call inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility. We're going to tell an Asian American uh, story grounded in their experience accessibility is also important to us this year. So we have a play uh, with a uh, trans protagonist and uh, touching on the trans experience. And yeah, that's, that's the season. I can't say any more. You'll have to come to the gala to hear the details. All right. That's well, I think that's a pretty good scoop about your five women's acapella sort of a piece there. That's going to be a, um, that's a good scoop to have there. Well, anything else to, to, to close us out with that you want to get done? Just, you know, we've got four more performances. This is a really, really wonderful, fabulous evening of theater, and uh, you don't want to miss this story, and I hope I hope your audience will come out and buy a ticket today and help us close out this show and our season. Well, as I, I don't want to say you're one of the best-kept secrets. I don't want to emphasize secret because you really are, 
you're getting known, but I think we, I, it was a full matinee, the uh, full ticket holder. So I want to, you know, make sure we do everything we can so people have a, an opportunity to, you know, enjoy this. So, Craig, thank you for being on the show. Craig Tyrrell is artistic director, a wayward artist, bringing their latest production, actually, and it's written by Anna Ziegler, as I said. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Craig. My pleasure, Claudia. Love you. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving break. Thank you. Likewise. Well, that's the wrap of the, the interviews. Well, I'm going to close now with an election law expert. The one Rick Hassan used to be here at our law school. He's at UCLA now. His recently expressed take on what's going on right now. Quoting him, we got over the very low bar of not electing truly anti-democracy candidates to offices in states where it matters, but we need to soberly assess what's ahead and not reduce our vigilance to safeguard democracy. Talk with you next week. Thanks for listening, everyone. Working man for life Into it I was born